I'm Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're now on lesson 12. We're rounding the corner That's here. That's right. God's mission, my mission. We only have, what is it, one more lesson left yeah. in this whole quarter. And so we're coming to the end of not only this lesson study, but we're kind of sliding into the end of the year here of 2023, wrapping it up. And I think it's good to, I think it's good to have an entire quarter focused on our mission responsibility and our personal yes. connection to that great plan of God. So I think the whole thing's exciting. This week, of course, the title is... Uh, I want to interject here. Uh-oh. We've talked about it last in our last time that there hasn't been a, quite as much practicality, like there's yes. ideas. So one of our conference officers here who is a Sabbath school teacher is actually supplementing the lesson with a book put out by the general conference called Spread, Spread, the, Spread Word. the Word. That's right which gives very practical ways to... So I thought, wow, what a great idea. You know, complimenting here, this is motivating us, and then what are some practical tips? So they finish up with the 10 minutes of the lesson with their challenge in the Spread the Word book. Yeah, she she came down to the office just the other day to say, like, oh, I wish you could see what's going on, and it's really been a blessing, apparently. I haven't been down there to see it, but apparently they just take a little bit of time and go over some practical things. Well, I wish we were sharing this in Lesson 1 instead of Lesson 12, (laughs) but the point is last week we said you might want to follow up this with some type of... Right. So spread the word would be a great resource for that. That's an excellent thing. Uh, this week's is titled Esther and Mordecai, and it comes entirely from the book of Esther. Esther. Mm-hmm. And so, well, this week's study, I put in the notes here, reviews the book of Esther for lessons on how to witness for Christ in foreign societies. So there's going to be a lot that this, I believe that this week's lesson has the potential to have a lot of either really helpful, practical instruction or it could kind of go off into the weeds a little bit on uh, the history of Esther and uh, right. what, what are the nuances of the story we don't really know. And how I do you say the word Mordecai? Is it Mordecai <laughs> Mordecai? Which I believe is Mordecai. But anyway, uh, I think there are, regardless of all the potential lessons, there are still some quality right. things you could draw out. And we'll get into that in a minute. So why don't I pray? There you and go. And then you give us our talking points this week. Father in heaven, we thank you for... The privilege we have of studying your word, being able to come together uh, as your people to study and uh, for the spirit of truth to guide us into the truth, especially, Lord, in terms of mission, we thank you that we can be a part of it. We pray that you would be with us in this um, review of the lesson and, Lord, with our teachers as they teach this lesson, with those in the classes, that we would all be motivated with a, a deeper sense of mission. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. The talking points this week are three. And number one, (laughs) all Christians are strangers in a foreign land. That comes from Sabbath and Sunday's lesson. All right. And uh, obviously the whole week is about how to witness in foreign cultures, but I would believe, and I think the lesson brings us out, that all Christians are strangers in a foreign land. Mm -hmm. Talking point number two, effective witnessing sometimes requires silence. We'll talk about that in more detail, but that comes from Monday and Tuesday's lesson. All right. And finally, talking point number three, praying and planning are essential in evangelism. That comes from Wednesday and Thursday's lesson. Now, it was not intentional, but I did notice that the talking points came from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or uh, Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So they kind of went in a chronological block. Because we're was, walking through the book of Esther. We are walking through the book of Esther, but I could have taken them in some other order, but I think this lays out nicely just All right. as it is. So, Good to know. let's go back to this first thought. The lesson focuses on what they call, quote, cross-cultural ministry. 
and I, I have extracted from that, that means people living either unintentionally or purposely as missionaries in foreign lands or societies, places where they're the strangers there, right? Right. Now, in Sabbath afternoon, paragraphs one and three, it kind of gives this explanation. It says, one of the most inspiring accounts of cross-cultural ministry in the Bible can be found in the book of Esther. In its own unique way, this story shows how God's people, even in foreign environments, can witness for truth. And in my reading of the lesson this week, that's as close as we get to a definition of our target intention. Is it just generally how to witness in somehow foreign environments? And as I was thinking about that, and as I was reading through the lesson, especially when we got down to the end of Sundays, the thought really stood out to me. Aren't all Christians strangers in a foreign land? I mean, as followers of Jesus, we are not in a natural environment. Our natural environment should be, if we're hearts are changed by the Lord, the kingdom of God, right? And the reality is that we are all in this predicament. First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, mm-hmm. abstain from fleshly lust. So, you know, just... Over and over. That point. Yes, Paul, I put it in the notes. Paul instructed us in Romans 13 to be good citizens here, but he also said, But your true citizenship is in heaven. Jesus said, If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. You know, <laughs> That's right. And he went on to say that same Jesus in John 15, 19, the world's going to hate you because it hates me. Don't be surprised right. when the world hates you. Then that's the whole world, not That's just this city or right. these people. So the 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 renewed Christian man in a fallen, unchristian world is a foreigner. You know, we're strangers yeah. here, right? And what they was a great little note. Why don't you read that one from the paragraph seven from Sundays about no matter uh, who we are. Yeah. No matter who we are or where we live, we are immersed in an environment that to some degree, either by laws themselves or by the culture or both, can be greatly challenging to our faith and our witness. So the upshot of it is, while we're talking about captives in a foreign land like Esther mm-hmm. or in the, the children of Israel during the time of Babylon and Persia, or if we're talking about just living our daily lives in a you know Midwest town or some city in the world today, mm-hmm. the culture of this world is at odds with the culture of Christ, and that's the bottom yeah. line. Well, I I one of my disappointments can I say that without being too I I don't want to be too down on it. But Why don't we just say one of your reflections on on this lesson <laughs> this quarterly is that when we. You know, okay, I understand, hey, we want a biblical framework for this thing we're teaching, but sometimes it's like, hey, let's take this and shoehorn this into it. Mm. Esther and Mordecai did not make a strategy like the Waldensians to go into Persia and share their faith. Mm. They were put there in captivity to spread their faith, much like Daniel and his friends. Were they faithful? Absolutely, but God used the captivity to put them in a place they wouldn't have chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like the New Testament church where the persecution came upon after the stoning of Stephen came upon the church and it scattered them everywhere. They didn't choose to be scattered. And mm-hmm. so I think I'm glad to say, hey, let's have a strategy. But I think it, it, a lesson, a takeaway here is that God puts us in places. We find ourselves in places right. that we didn't even necessarily, pl- necessarily plan to be in. So our, it's almost like our strategy for witness needs to be more of what I'm going to do in any case. Well, I think that's the point. So that when I'm when I'm plopped into that or I realize, oh, wow, you know, I'm in the supermarket and somebody says, hey, aren't you the, you know, whatever else. And, you know, I, I yeah. actually went to Menards and I had a guy who had seen Talking Points. Did you really? And he's like, hey, I've seen you on or something, you know, so. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I think that's... Then, then you have to be ready. Exactly. Well, I think to your point, absolutely, Esther and Mordecai I, were not in Israel and saying, someone needs to go win those Persians. Right. Let's go. They were there. They had mm-hmm. been born and raised in this society. They had the opportunity to go back, and they didn't. Yeah. And we don't know. There's a lot that's unsaid yes. in the book of Esther. Why would they be there? I don't know. But the upshot is, here they are. Yes. And the same thing is true for us. I'm getting. I'm guessing most people in this world have not chosen where they live because of a strategic missionary purpose. Right. To say, like, I'm going to this side of town. Some have, clearly. Exactly. But... And some have. I know people who've said, I'm going to right. uproot from this culture and go to this other culture, and God bless them. Mm-hmm. But regardless of that missionary mindset, to your point, when you get converted to the truth of Jesus Christ, you're going to look around and say, this world is not my home. <laughs> right. And these people don't have the same thoughts. The noble. Right. Like, I have a burden now to share my faith in this circumstance. Mm. And so that's my point from this talking point is that all of us are in a circumstance yes. of foreign surroundings. Yes. So what do we do? Is it, which naturally leads to talking point number two, is it our most effective tool then to just open up our mouth and say everything we know about everything all at once to everybody we find? Mm. No. I put talking point number two, effective witnessing sometimes requires silence. So mm. that. That idea of there's something I could share with someone, but I'm purposely withholding it. There are times when people will look at that and say, well, that is that is a denial of the faith. It is deceptive. You know, it is, right. it's not what we should do, right? So, I did, this didn't come from the lesson, but I put a little couple of notes in there. that they, We have, first of all, the example of Jesus. Uh, Isaiah told us that he would stand before his shears and would be silent like a lamb, right? And that's exactly what he did at his trial. On the road to Emmaus, he purposely concealed his identity so he didn't share Mm -hmm. too early what he wanted. He wanted to walk them through the evidence of their faith and then reveal himself, right? And I have to imagine that in Esther, are you in the book of Esther here? No, I am, yes. Okay, why don't you read Esther 2, verses 10 and 20. And we'll okay. see what Mordecai counsels uh, Esther as she's going to be in the palace, right? Esther 2, verse 10 says, Esther had not revealed her people or her family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And verse 20 says, Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. Okay, so Mordecai sees this opportunity of Esther going to the palace, mm-hmm. and his first counsel to her is, don't, you know, don't lay it all out on the table. Don't reveal who you are yet. Just, mm-hmm. for the, at least for the time being, hold it close and don't say anything, right? The lesson says this little note on Monday, paragraph five, as aliens in a foreign culture and religion that could be hostile, they were wise in keeping silent about their family and people. And on the bottom of that day's lesson, it asks the question, what circumstances might you think of where it could be prudent not to be overt about our faith? And I think it's interesting that this question comes up. We're doing this lesson at the exact same time that here in the Michigan Conference, it's evangelism season. And I imagine Mm -hmm. a lot of places here in the fall of the year, it's evangelism season. But for us, we're doing this conference-coordinated evangelistic campaign called Discovering Revelation. But I know that on the handbills, it does not say, come hear this lecture from Seventh-day Adventists, or learn what Seventh-day Adventists teach about the Sabbath, or the state of the dead, or the sanctuary, the soon coming of Jesus, or all the things you've learned are wrong, come find out tonight, except we don't say that. Um, Oftentimes, we'll hold it in a neutral hall, so as not to, like, give up. And there are members who get very concerned that we're being deceptive. Yeah. 
So that's a burr in the saddle of, of, of a number of people. It is. And so are they, is there legitimacy to it or is there strategy to it? What's the purpose of well, that? Well, first of all, you've got to go back to, you know, you had mentioned some of the, the instances of Jesus, like on the road to Emmaus, but how many times did he heal somebody and say, don't tell him it. who mm-hmm. healed you? Yeah. Why? Is he ashamed of himself? <laughs> is he ashamed of his father? See, this is what we hear people say as they say, right. you guys are ashamed. No, he's not ashamed of himself or his father, but he knows there's an element of prejudice that had people, if people saw the healing, that would bear its own testimony. Mm. But if they heard it was Jesus who did the healing, it's like uh, we do the same thing today. And, and just within the church, there may be a certain person, maybe, the, the, in fact, I could probably bring up a, a name of a political figure on the Democrat or Republican side of things and say, so-and-so said in a news broadcast, and you'd be like, Ah, ah, that guy, I don't... So as soon as you hear the name, but if, if you didn't have the name associated and I ju- you just had the facts, you might mm. say, oh yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And Jesus knew that was the case with the Jewish nation. Like the leaders, they're going to be prejudiced as soon as they hear my name. Yeah. So don't tell them who did this. And the reality is, Cameron, I've got a lot of... I've, in my pastoral ministry, I've pastored a lot of churches and, and the members are like, oh, but the people in this community love us. They'd be... <sighs> Yeah, until you start talking about what you believe. I'm just telling mm, you straight out. It's come like, on. yeah, they love that you have a community service center and you do these good things. And you're like, hey, do you want a Bible study? Oh, no. We just have we have a, a, a person in our congregation whose um, father just died, wants to do a funeral mm-hmm. service at the church. The mother wants to do it there. But one of the family members said, if it's an Adventist church, I'm not going there. Mm. And so there's, there's, a, there's a level of prejudice. So yeah. the reason that... That we don't say everything. And you had this quote in last week's uh, I lesson, I believe, where Alan White says, don't think in a new field at once. you got to tell them, you got to lay everything on the table about who you are. Yeah. Present the truths that you hold in common so the people can, again, just like... It's Christ's method alone. Like, win exactly their confidence it. and then say, follow me, right? So you mentioned also on, on our advertising, it always flipped people like, why aren't we putting Adventist on our advertising? You tell me how many times Billy Graham put the Baptist crusade on his advertising. Mm. Or if Max Lucado goes somewhere, or Philip Yancey, or any of these guys, okay, okay. I would guarantee... <laughs> they, people listening to this, I promise you, most don't even know... These are well-known... Who the denominations of Philip Yancey or Max Lucado... That's what I was yeah, going to yeah. say. I thought you were going to say they don't know who these guys no, no, are. But these if are they've heard of them, I promise you they know the name and not the denomination. Christian authors. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. You don't know their denomination. Why don't they come right out front and say, well, this is my denomination... Because they're trying to reach everybody. Yeah. And so, in the same way, um, I, uh, I believe that, that potentially Mordecai was trying to avoid any type of prejudice right. to right. find a better, to win the conference. Right. The very first saying. thing you want to do is on this national platform is lead with the most controversy. He's like, why don't you hold back on it now? <laughs> right. But we also have, interesting from Mordecai's own example, the very next chapter, let's go to Esther chapter mm-hmm. 3. Yeah. And I'll read verses 2 through 4. Now listen, it says, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened, when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's uh, words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Mm-hmm. So notice he, in the t- chapter 2, said, you don't tell them who, on the national platform, 
but in his daily association with these servants that he knew personally, mm-hmm. he had explained, here's why, they asked him, why don't you do this? And he explained, right. he, and it you know got him in trouble. But clearly Mordecai is not ashamed of his faith, but he's trying to be strategic about how to lay and it And he there. wasn't obviously trying to avoid trouble. Right. He wasn't he a coward. He just didn't want to bring it on prematurely. Exactly. Ellen White uses a phrase where she says that, she says, let's not, in, in a number of capacities, let's not make a time of trouble beforehand. Yeah, you ever heard her say that? In absolutely. Other words, we know trouble's coming, but let's not precipitate it by, by being unwise in right. just in putting the most objectionable features exactly. of our faith out front. Now, the lesson brings out on uh, paragraph three of Tuesday, it says, surely in that response, reflecting on uh, what we just read from, you know, Mordecai and his servants, you know, uh, the servants who questioned him about his faith. Surely in that response, Mordecai had an opportunity to explain that as a worshiper of the God who created the heavens and the earth, he could not worship any sinful human being. No doubt Mordecai was to some degree able to witness about his faith, a faith he'd adhered to so strongly that it endangered himself and, unfortunately, others. Mm. So clearly, I mean, the outcome is not positive, at least in terms of a human perspective. He's probably going to, in fact, he did get in trouble. The Lord eventually saved him, right? But mm-hmm. but he was willing to share his faith, but he was trying to do it carefully right. and try to do it as winsomely as possible. Well, back to your point about from a public evangelism perspective, and I think in in a way... We've brought a lot of this on ourselves. I think pastors and evangelists in the Adventist Church have undertaken to do the whole work themselves, and the members are just supposed to come and cheer on from mm, the pew. Come on. And so the members don't have the experience that I know that you have and I mm. have from, from being conducting the meetings and you're visiting mm. with the people. Yeah. Where I know you've heard this, because I've heard this over the last 20 years, over and over, where people will say, man, if I had known this was an Adventist meeting from the beginning, I never would have come. These are people who join the church. They stand for the truth. They're in the cause of God now. Mm -hmm. And they'll flat out tell you, I would have never, I would have never come if I would have thought it was this. Right. Well, and and so... and I like the statement that was from the Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald from 1884. It's found it on Tuesday's lesson. It says, From Daniel and his companions and Mordecai, a bright light shone amid the moral darkness of the kingly courts of Babylon. So clearly they were not trying to hide their light or be cowardly about their faith or they were ashamed of their beliefs. Right. They were being strategic and trying to make the light go as far and as wide as it possibly could. And sometimes that takes being quiet at this point so you can speak at another point. Yeah, I really think we need to make the point, even as we've said this, I mean, I can in in my, you know, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, <laughs> but I can see Sabbath schools blowing up over a big discussion because I know people have strong feelings about this and taking over the whole class. So don't spend your whole class on this Thank point. Thank you. Um, you know, you make some observations, uh, draw from it, but don't let it take over the... The other thing I would caution against, too, is I can see Sabbath school classes saying, like, there you have it, friends, the most effective witness is, is, no si- witness. is silence, right? <laughs> right? So we should... like, I think that silence can be part of the strategy, but it's not the default position of the Christian. It's not to, like, anytime you have an opportunity, make sure don't say anything. I would much rather you err on the side of saying something, but there are times in certain efforts and circumstances where it can be part of an overall strategy to be silent so that your talking can be more effective. Ecclesiastes 3, 7, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Amen. The wisest man ever to live. (laughs) Would you let him close us out there? Well, we have one more point, though, Mm. and that is that praying and planning are essential in evangelism. This is going to come primarily from the Wednesday and Thursday lessons, but 
And I find I found it interesting as I reviewed because I went back and read the, reread the story of uh, of Esther, the whole book, and mm-hmm. then looked at the lessons comments on it. It's interesting that the same Mordecai that had cautioned Esther against declaring her Jewish heritage later is the same one who comes back and urges her to express her faith directly to the king. Mm-hmm. So at one point he said, "Don't say anything," but then. When the dire circumstances come, he says, now it's time to speak. And not just yeah. speak a little bit. You walk right in. You go right to the king, to his face, and say, I'm part of this people whose part is going to be destroyed. We need to do something, right? So, again, this underscores the previous point. He wasn't cowardice. It was strategic. But now it's time to speak up, right? And um, if you read Esther chapter 4, verses 13, one find if you read verses 13 through 17. Can you do that for me? Esther 4.13? Yeah. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So interestingly, Mordecai commands Esther to go in, and she countercommands and says, All right, I'll I'll see you're going in, and I'll raise you a prayer and fasting, right? And basically... They have a plan. We need to go to the king, but we're not going to step forward in that plan until we lay it before the Lord out in the field. You guys here we in, in, in the house, we're going to okay. do the same thing. We're going to take three days of intense prayer and fasting of dedicating this to the Lord, and then we're going to step forward in faith. There's a great comment from Patriarchs, uh, Prophets and Kings. Before, before you touch on that Please. comment, I just I, this statement is so powerful because the, the, the implication of it it's interesting that Mordecai is confident that deliverance will come, yes. whether Esther does this or not. Right. So his, his appeal to her is almost like, look, God's going to bring deliverance, mm-hmm. but if it's not through you now. If you don't act and you stay silent, you're going to perish. So obviously there's a concern there. But also you're going to miss the blessing you could have. Mm. Would you speak? Yeah, that's what speaks yeah. to me. It's like, you know, a lot of us, we stay silent and... Uh, let's say that we could know that we weren't going to perish. We'll stay silent and we'll still go to heaven. But you'd miss so much. Mm. Like that, he puts this impetus on her because he says that you, you're going. Relief is going to come. Um, what does he say? Relief and deliverance, but it's going to come from somewhere else. Yeah. You and your father's house will perish. And even if he didn't perish, you're going to miss out on being right. a part of that. So it's basically pitched to her that we know that God's going to deliver somehow. That's right. But you have the unique opportunity to be part of that it now. It could be you now. That's right. So for why such not, a time exactly? Why not stand up and be counted? I mean, how much? How direct does that come to us right now? As yeah. a Church at this time in earth's history. Amen. Like, for I mean, especially <laughs> if you know prophetic history for such a time as this. This right. is the message we've been given. Anyway, we go down that path for sure, but. Page, uh, Prophets and Kings 601 says, The crisis that Esther faced demanded quick, earnest action. But both she and Mordecai realized that unless God should work mightily in their behalf, their own efforts would be unavailing. So Esther took time for communion with God, 
the source of her strength. Mm. So their first response, I mean, I think of Daniel earlier right. in the same experience. They want to rush to the king, but we have to give it to the Lord in prayer, and he will That's deliver right. as he will. And so I see in the experience of Daniel and his friends, Esther and Mordecai, there is a, a, a zeal for the Lord. There is a trust in him that he's going to bring deliverance, but it's still not presumption by rushing headlong into something. Mm-hmm. They keep that line between faith and presumption very clear. Like, we're going to act in faith, but we're going to, and that means we're going to leave it to the Lord first. But I will say this. I believe that there are many times when, from a sincere desire to make sure that we're not putting the human cart before the divine horse, mm-hmm. if you will, we want to make sure that the Lord is leading this thing. We want to dedicate it to him in prayer that our soul winning, our strategic witness, if you will, lacks the strategy part, and we just turn to the Lord in prayer. We're just going to pray through this, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to pray, pray, pray. Right. And then what? You stand up off your knees and you step forward and you haven't thought about what to do next. It's like, well, I just thought I was supposed to stand still and let the Lord. But I mm-hmm. believe that the Lord intends to use us, our minds, our actions, our opportunities, as his agents for success. Absolutely. So when... They have the prayer meeting, right? They don't just get up and say, okay, Mm-mm. let's watch and see what he does. No, in the Privilege of Prayer chapter of Steps to Christ, Alamite says those who do nothing but pray will soon cease to pray. Exactly. So they... got to act out, work th- out your This prayers. is exactly a great ex- example of that because she gets up and then says, all right, let's get dressed. Let's go into the king. And she walks in the room. I'm sure knees knocking, but eyes forward, mm-hmm. right? And she has the scepter experience. He holds out the, the and gives her the opportunity. Please let me know what it is you want. And even then she doesn't say, oh, good, I'm a Jew and our people are... De-. No, she realizes Haman is still there. There's going to be some... Mm. So she says, why don't you come over to a banquet? And then at that banquet, she's like... Let's have another one. Mm-hmm. And and she walks through an interesting process. And then, I mean, I'm skipping ahead in the story. You probably, I trust you read it this week. But even when Mordecai, when Haman is out of the picture, Mordecai gets brought in. And now he has the opportunity to write a law. Well, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. It can't be changed. So he says, why don't you write a law that says, if the original law says all the people can fight you and kill you, you can write a law that says, yes, but you can defend yourselves and fight back basically neutralizing the threat. Mm-hmm. And so they had to think that through. What would we right. do if we had an opportunity? So they had a plan, and they dedicated the Lord in prayer. And what uh, Esther and Mordecai's prayerful and careful course saved not only the Jewish people, but also resulted in such a witness that, as Esther 8.17 says, many of the people of the land became Jews. Now, I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it would be like in that time to see a mighty deliverance of an entire people of God through a, what had to be a very public... You think people heard about the Haman thing? Mm. You know, he went around town well, with the Mordecai, like, this is the man the king d- d- desires to he honor. He built a gallows. And the 50-foot tall and, and you don't, you don't, that doesn't go up in, it. like, you, people are all seeing this yeah, thing. Yeah, it's the center of town. Because he right. wants it to be the center of attention when right. he hangs Mordecai. Right. So everybody's attention's drawn to it, and then, oh, you know. Look who's on there. Right. And then Mordecai's, in the, and then there's this new law. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful witness, right? Mm. The Lord truly did. Now, the takeaway lesson, of course, is we're not living in Persia, and we're not all foreign missionaries, and we're not all under death sentence for our faith, but we are, as we go back to talking point number one, Mm. strangers in a foreign land. What are the takeaway lessons? I thought there was a great statement that, the, to be clear, the final point is found in paragraph 
uh, one of Friday, but that first little sentence actually comes from Desire of Ages 263, well, the, the original context. the whole thing context. comes from Desire of Ages, right. but the, yeah, Once added a course. sentence. The whole world is opening to the gospel, to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher, and child upon whom has shown the light of the gospel comes at this crisis. The question put to Esther the queen at that momentous crisis in Israel's history, who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's really the reflection. Hmm. Look around at your circumstances, your situation where you're fed, and say, maybe the Lord has me here on purpose. Maybe there's something I can do. Let me pray about it, mm-hmm. come up with a strategy, and then boldly step out in faith as opportunities open up. Amen. Which leads us, as we close, to, to our, our challenge. challenge. our challenge up. Yes. And, and I would perceive our challenge up, up. Yes, we're going to add to that. The challenge says that pray that God will give you courage, amen, to share mm-hmm. something he has done for you with one of the people on your prayer list this week. And then when he answers it, share something. Uh, no, uh, not yet. challenge up. Begin a diary or journal of special little things or big things that God does for you. Review it and pray that God will bring these things to your mind just at the right time so you can share them with someone. I want to encourage the fact that we're thinking about when to share, we're praying about it. And what to share, some things in my life. Exactly. So the challenge up, up would be to actually share. (laughs) Yes. So look for the opportunities, pray for the right thing Uh, to say, and when the opportunity comes, have the courage of your convictions and speak up for the Lord. Why don't you give us a word of closing prayer? Father in heaven, again, we we are thankful for all you do for us. We thank you for the testimony, sacred history here in the story of Esther. We also thank you for your interaction in our lives every day. There's so much we have to tell of your goodness. And Lord, I pray that as we meditate upon these things, you will lead us very directly into the pathway of others. And when we find ourselves in those situations, that we would be prepared to act. Help us, Lord, to um, speak uh, at such a time as this, for the upbuilding of your kingdom and the hastening of your coming, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Talking Points. To make sure you don't miss a single episode, subscribe to the Talking Points podcast on all major podcast platforms. To watch Talking Points and other helpful video content, subscribe to our Emanuel Institute YouTube channel today. And finally, for all your Sabbath school, personal ministries, and public evangelism resources, visit michigansspm.org.